last week, you're aware of the fact that we hightailed it through four verses. So since that's not too much in review, let's start right at verse 1 and walk through the whole chapter. Would you please read it with me? When you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. And do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who has built a new house and is not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man dedicated. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man marry her. The officers shall speak further to the people and say, well, what man is there who is fearful and faint hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. So it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people that they shall make captains of the armies and lead the people. When you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace, and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord, when, notice when, the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male with the edge, with it, with the edge of the sword. But the women, the little ones, the livestock, and all that is in your city, all its spoil you shall plunder for yourself, and you shall eat the enemy's plunder which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations, but the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. You shall not let anything breathe, remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they've done for their gods. You sin against the Lord your God. When you besiege the city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city which makes war with you until it is subdued. You pray with me, please. Thank you, Lord, for this time and what you're going to do in it now. We recognize, Lord, you have great work to do. But, Lord, I pray for more than words that will come out and fall to the ground or even come into our ears and entertain our minds. God, crack open our hearts and let us hear you today. 
Lord, show us so much more than information. May this be more than eating proverbial popcorn while we are entertained for a small period of time and go back out unchanged. Lord, you have your work to do now. Please do it. God, I pray you would immerse me in your Holy Spirit that you would be seen. That you come upon me, that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. And now, Lord, speak to each one of us where we need to hear you now. Grab the defibrillator, Lord. Bring up the voltage. And get your church back to the living army you called it to be. And Lord, I thank you for this time. Redeem every second. Captivate us now. Don't let us escape. Do not let us, Lord, be diverted. But grab a hold of our heads, hearts. And deeply transform us as you desire. Jesus, be glorified, I pray. In every second. In your name we pray. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority here. In Deuteronomy 20, we are ready for a fight that's inevitable. We've seen the difference between a fight, a battle, and a war. In the first four verses that we looked at, he goes to the spiritual, to the factual, before we get to the tactical in 5 to 9 and the practical in 10 to 20. He wants to make sure we recognize this is God moving us forward. This is a spiritual battle. And there is no battle God will lead you in that he will not lead you in. If he leads you in it, it is his battle to fight, not mine. And if it's God's right, then it's God's fight. And therefore, the priests are there to remind us. They're here first. They don't diminuinize the size of the fight. They don't make light of the fact that a battle is to be there. They're not preaching a life improvement program as if somehow following God at this moment is going to be all butterflies and chocolate. It's a fight. And he tells us then the what not to, how we could get that way, and why not to in those four verses. Not to weaken in our conviction. Not to fear. Not to let it speed up and then not to let it break us down. That's the order he gives us here. And he tells us how that happens because we're busy counting horses and chariots and people. The battle's there, and we're busy surmising its strength, its stuff, its soldiers, instead of looking at our Savior. And he tells us why we're not to be fearful. Because the Lord, not just the Lord, not just the Lord God, but the Lord my God goes with me. And he goes with me for purpose to fight against my foes to save me. So if you will, the priests build the core in verses 
1 through 4, if you will, or 2 through 4, and then the officers build the corpsman in the remainder of the chapter. Here's the problem as we start to look at it now. Now it's time to practically start sending soldiers home because, to be honest, they're just not really soldiers. Hey, maybe when you accepted Jesus, you didn't want to go to hell. I agree with you. That's a great option. And I would say if I didn't have to go to hell and Jesus was my option, we'd be a fool to ask for a second if God was willing to give it to us. But the moment you said yes to Jesus, you got enlisted. Now, we're not to blow ourselves up. Our goal here is not to be destroying human beings. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fighting. That's other people's battles. But here he shows us. There's one word that's, if you will, quite frightening. And it's used four times. In verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8. And that is let. Let him. Now, in all four cases, you see it actually says let him go. Please don't miss this. The let means something wants to happen and you're granting it permission. It wants to happen. And in this case, they want to go. They don't want to fight. They don't want to gain any ground. They're not interested in going anywhere forward. They just don't want to go to hell. They just don't want to go back to Egypt. Or they do. And here it is, I'm going to look at, God has intended the church to be on the offensive. To start leading people to victory. And we wonder why we live in such defeat, but we're not willing to follow Him. And the Lord looks at us and He says, follow me. And as He says, follow me, there are going to be those that are like, I follow you, but here's my limit. Here's the reason why I'll follow you if you go the way I tell you. But that's not following Jesus. I have kids. I know when they're in front of me, they're not following me. And here he's going, look at When you're going to look at this battle, there are those who are not into the battle. Let them go. Because you don't want to fight with them anyways. Interesting, because what we have, if you look at this, in our first handful, notice it says it's verse 5 and then verse 8 and then in verse 9, three different times, it says now the commanders, now the officers are going to come and address the people. Now that the priest has laid out the ground rules, and the priest says, this is the Lord's battle, get behind him and watch him kick. Then the officers step in. Do you realize what we have in these verses? Is that the reason that the army can't win is because the army is distracted. See, the army is distracted in verses 5 through 7 with three very prominent things, and it resonates of something Jesus will speak in Luke 9. We'll get there in a second. If you will, in verses 5 through 7, it's mine, and then verse 8, it's me. And that's why I'm not ready for the battle. That's why I'm predisposed to rather sit in the barracks and not do what he's called me to. But listen, if I'm following Jesus, I'm going to follow him in a battle. I will never lead. Yes, there will be battle. And if there's a battle, that means that there will be opposition. It is not optional. There will be opposition, whether I like it or not. And yes, there will be casualties. That's a given. The issue is whether I'm going to be one. There is opposition. And whether you like it or not, the opposition is not intending on just holding ground. It's intended on gaining ground. 
So either I will take it to the battle or the battle will overtake me. But one thing I cannot have is a distracted army. This battle demands focus because the more extreme the consequence, the more demanding my focus must be. It's a matter of life or death. That's the point here. It says it's a life where I cannot focus on these things. And the reason why he says let them go is because their hearts are divided. And the enemy actually has me believing if I could just do it perfectly, that will be okay. But since I can't do anything perfectly, it would be better for me to do nothing at all. The enemy has convinced me that I need to be told personally to do what God has told all of us to do. The enemy has told me that if I actually share Jesus with someone and they don't say, yes, I've failed or they've rejected me. The enemy has convinced me that if I don't say anything at all, there's no failure in that. So as a result of that, I become indifferent because I have to stop hearing the Holy Spirit tell me that people are dying around me. And so what I have to do to sort of foster that indifference is I have to, for the sake of my own survival and sanity, if you will, I have to distract myself. But that's just the product of a hard heart. So distraction is now a lifestyle. I can't sit on a train without putting something in my ears because I would look weird. What did we do 20 years ago? You realize only 20 years ago we had papers and that was it. But if you just sat there, you wouldn't know where to look. And if you looked at somebody, they'd think you were psycho, right? So you can't do that. So I'm afraid of the silence because I haven't had it in so long. It's a stranger to me. I'm afraid of the stillness. I'd rather pretend to be texting. I'd rather pretend to be on my phone or staring at a screen or whatever than I would be to be quiet enough to listen to that still, small voice that wants to speak to me. Because I know if it does, I'm going to hear something that's going to hold me liable and accountable to more information. And it will flesh out my rebellious heart that at this moment I feel like I'm just weighing options is if I don't notice and have the word no in it. So I can't even hear the basic rhythm of the city anymore. It's loud, but I can't hear it because I'm so busy adding to that noise. We have more knowledge than ever as a result of it, but we're the most depressed generation there's ever been. We're the most violent. We're the most helpless. We're the most confused. We're the most desperate and infinitely less apt to call for honest help. We've never been so predisposed to look anywhere but up. The world's never been so small, but it's never been so heavy on my shoulders. I feel like we're drowning. We're drowning out God's voice in it. While we're buried in this cacophony. And the enemy knows. The enemy knows that the problem is there's no battle to fight anymore. We're giving up words. We're giving up words. We're afraid to call ourselves Christians because we're afraid of what people have made of that. We're afraid to use the word preach. And every time we want to say something, we're like, I'm not going to preach to you. We're afraid to use Bible verses. Well, one, because we don't know them. But two, because we're afraid that we're going, I'm not going to bash you with the Bible. Bash you with the Bible. People don't even know the Bible to bash you with anymore. They don't even know what to give you. We're dead before we even enter the battle. It's like entire platoons have been lulled into comas. The enemy's not threatened by that. Because my ears are too clogged by Spotify lists to hear my commander say, follow me. 
My eyes are too full of Facebook posts to see his promised glory and the victory in his eyes. If I could look in my commander and straight in the face and I could see that victory in his eyes, I'd want to go. And I wonder why it seems like a battle just to step. And I was supposed to be a soldier. I feel like breathing's a challenge. And he told me in Matthew chapter 13, 22, Jesus says about the seed that falls among thorns, that it was the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Mark adds in Mark 4:19 the desires for other things. In Luke 8:14 he adds to it the pleasures of life, and in all the cases it chokes that thing that's supposed to produce so much fruit. When Paul is ending his life in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Nobody engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life. And he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And the officer now comes towards the people and he starts asking a couple questions. Are you distracted by this? Even right now, is it hard to pay attention? You think, oh my goodness, how long is this guy going to go on? I'm sorry that the scenery doesn't change every three seconds. We've taught ourselves how to be ADD. Oh, granted, there may be people predisposed, but we can't stare at anything for any period of time because, to be honest, we've been busy looking at something that changes constantly while we're looking. I remember when I used to, myself, when I used to be stilled by a sunset, that changed so slowly, but I could watch it for an hour and a half until that little green spot and it disappeared. And I remember that slowly fading. Not the majesty, just the intent to stare and focus because I go, well, what else is there to look at? Do you remember when you could pray for hours? Have you ever been in that place where it's hard to pray for five minutes? Because you start and you're like immediately like, squirrel! So listen, I want to pray again before we go through this. Because I don't want this just to be information we can hear, leave at the door as we walk out. There are people out there that are going to hell and need to hear about Jesus. There are people in this room right now that desperately need comfort and encouragement. And we can't look past that because we're busy looking for something shinier and flashier. Shame on me if I've not demonstrated that. Shame on me. If all I've done is show you that what you need to do is just read more Bible. Because Jesus never said that the guy who built his house on the rock was the guy who heard the word. But the guy who heard it and acted on it. So in verse 5, well here, let's pray. God, please still our hearts now. Come and dear our focus. Don't let us escape what it is you want to do now, please. I pray that there would be not a single casualty in this room to be, but only victors. Jesus, in your name, amen. Notice in verses 5, 6, and 7, he says, Who has built a house? That's the first of them. You get it? This isn't a guy who bought it even. He built it. So imagine he spent maybe a year or two building this house. More than likely, often a guy built a house because he's engaged. So he may actually apply for verse 7 as well. And then in that, he's built the house, but he's never really lived in it. 
He's built it. He's put in its plumbing. He's done whatever's been necessary. But now at this point, and why should he not go to battle? Because only one eyeball is going to be on the battle. The other one's actually going to be on the house he built. It's an undedicated house. And he says, lest, there's always these lests in there. Lest he die in the battle and another man dedicated. Why will he die in battle? He'll die in battle because he's not really in the battle anyways. He's holding a weapon while he's staring at the house and he's thinking. His, his mind's elsewhere. You've been there. You've sat and talked with somebody and they've nodded and they could even go like this, but they're not there at all. God knows it. He goes, man, when was the church supposed to be busy giving defense? Do you know what the word for defense is in the Greek? Apologia. We're teaching our church how to apologize instead of get on the offense. This is all offensive here. He says, God's, if you will, he's like, I am so sick and tired of the church not stepping forward because they're too busy trying to defend their cause. Instead of follow me into the battle where victory is. He goes, man, where is your house? Is it the kind of thing where really the bottom line is, I'd really give you everything, Jesus, but my house. And he says, who's planted a vineyard, but not eaten of it? Why is it not eaten? More than likely because the grapes have not grown to fruition yet. They've not matured. Oh, but they're going to. And this is an investment. You've invested your time. You've invested your efforts. This is your business now. And you've dumped into it. And you've dumped into it. And as you've dumped into it, you haven't been able to enjoy the dividend of it. And the problem is when you're going to go to battle, you're like, you don't understand how hard I have worked. How hard I have worked and not gotten anything out of it. And God says, well, then don't go to this battle. You're already, you're already somewhere else. I get it. Your investment's elsewhere. It's my job, man. I'd follow Jesus, but you don't understand my job. Verse 7 says, who's betrothed to a woman? You want to see guys that are on fire? It's so, so hard. You don't understand how hard it is to want to ordain single guys, but know that it's never a great idea because even the greatest guys I've ever seen that seem to be so on fire for Christ can change like this the moment they meet someone. And I've watched guys that were like Caleb's, that were like Joshua's. Man, they were so on fire for the Lord. And I'm not picking on the girl because the girl's not the issue. But ladies, you can do this the same. And you can watch a girl and she just loves Jesus, man. And then all of a sudden she meets this guy and he calls himself a Christian. He comes from a Christian background. But if you were on fire for Christ, would he leave you? Then why are you there? And romance takes you out of it. And somehow you think God's going to applaud that? Do I think God's going to applaud that? Do I think somehow God's going to look and go, oh, that's okay, I totally understand, you felt lonely, I died to be with you, but you feel lonely, I get it. I don't want to be that to God. I don't want to try to lay those things before God and somehow think I can present that case in some way that God's going to look and go, oh, well, now that you've argued it like that, sure. You know what's interesting? If you're in your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Luke 9 for a second. In chapter 9, verse 51 and 52, Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. Do you know what he's going to do down there? He's going to be crucified. And he is committed. He is committed to die there. So this is like the beginning of Jesus' travel down to his own execution. 
And as he's traveling down, he gets this. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And it happened as he journeyed on the road, someone said to him, Lord. And by the way, in all three of the cases, they're going to say, Lord. I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus' response is, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Wow, you think that Jesus just wants to recruit people? Why is he doing this? In verse 59, he says to another, follow me. Notice the word follow again. It'll be in all three. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But he said to him, let the bed der- the bed. Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. And you go, whoa, that sounds harsh. I'll get there in a moment. And then another said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me go first and bid farewell to you. To those who are at my house. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Please hear me in this. Did you notice there were three there too? Did you notice what was the first case? So now, now I want you to think for a moment. The word fox in scripture. I mean, before I was like, when foxes had a purpose in scripture, it was they were never good. They ruined the vines. They're thieves. We know that, right? Anyone go, oh, a fox came in my yard. Awesome. Good thing I have chickens or had chickens. We watch them strew guts, if you'll pardon me for saying, across streets because they've caught an animal unwary. They sound like demon babies when they cry. Not that I'm real familiar with demon babies, but if there was a demon baby, I'm sure it would sound like that. And they lure these things out. They're thieves. How about birds? Hey, I love birds. I'm not the kind that's going to grab some binocs and go and chase them. Hey, if that's you, that's cool. But, but understand, in Scripture, they don't get a real high write-up. You know what it says in Scripture? They eat your eyeballs out when you're dead. They pluck off your flesh on a corpse. And they steal the seed in Matthew 13. Did you notice he goes, a guy's like, I'm going to follow you. He goes, let me tell you who actually has a home here. Thieves have homes here. Liars have homes here. This is their home. This will not be yours if you're going to follow me. Listen, this will not be your home if you're going to follow me. Are you ready for that? The guy did not say, I'll believe in you. The guy said, I'm going to, I'll follow you. And Jesus goes, well, you need to know following me is going to cost you. Is your house in order? Who's house or whose home do you really want this one it's gonna burn it's like going to the pound store and realizing you could actually clean up on your favorite whatever but they're all past their expiration date or do you want a different home you can follow me and i'd like you to follow me but you need to know The moment you choose to follow me, this is not going to be your home anymore. So stop trying to make it that. So the second case, a guy's like, I'm going to follow you, but let me go bury my dad. And you think, oh, come on, give the guy a little break. His dad just died. No, he didn't. You were not allowed to have such a casual conversation within a mile of your house. And if your father just passed away, you were not allowed beyond a mile of your house. If you know anything about the way it works, it's kind of like this. Let's say I have three sons. My three sons. 
Daniel and David and Dwayne. Of the three, you're probably the oldest, aren't you? I don't know. You guys can talk about it. But let's just say for the sake of the argument at the moment, it's going to be Dwayne. And that's because he's married. But not, no. not that that makes... Anyways. So, that's no pressure. So let's say Dwayne's my oldest. Dwayne is my oldest, has some handful of responsibilities that come unique for the oldest, my firstborn. He's going to carry on the family name. He's going to carry on the family occupation. He's going to carry on the family, well, the family honor. That's, that's up to him. That means if somebody's my enemy, it's going to be his too. That means if something needs to be avenged, he would be the avenger for me. If someone killed me, he would have to be the avenger because that comes with the part of the honor. That's all part of it. But he's also, because he's my firstborn, also responsible for my burial. You're probably aware that the Jewish people find burial very important. So here's the way it works. Because he has these special duties, he gets an extra share of the inheritance. Well, sorry, there's not going to be, well, spiritually there's a lot, but here I don't know. About. Anyways, so think of it this way. I could, have, I could have broken into three parts, but because he's my firstborn, I divide it into four parts, of which he gets two, which means that boy gets half my inheritance. Are you with me so far? But because being buried is so important, well, I've got to make sure that happens right. Now, understand, there's not a lot of space in Israel. And as a result of that, what happens is, is that you're put, the moment you die, you're wrapped up and kind of made all stinky stuff. And then what happens is you're put in something called a sarcophagus. Sarch means flesh. Fikas means eat. It's a flesh eater. And it's just a giant stone thing. It looks like a coffin, but made of stone. Perhaps some of you have seen them. And you're there for a year. Or until basically all that's left are your bones and your dental records. When you're done, now I can take all of those bones and stick them in something long enough, just a little longer than my longest bone, which would be my femur, and just a little wider than my whitest bone, which would be my head. And I'll put all of those in there, and that's called an ossuary or a bone box. Perhaps you've seen those. They're basically about the size of a bread box. Now what can happen is we could fit a lot of us in a family plot if all of us are in bread boxes within a year. So understand something. To give me a proper burial is going to take him a year. Does that make sense? Well, how do I make sure he does it? I'm dead by that point. Well, that's simple. What did I have to hold over him? The inheritance. So the moment that I die, three parts of that inheritance go out. One for each. But he's still got another portion to get. Well, when's he going to get it? When I get a proper burial. And when is that? When we're done and we can get that thing done. So, get it like this. Jesus goes, follow me. He says, oh, I will follow you. But first, you don't know how close I am to my inheritance. And he looks at him and goes, your inheritance? Which inheritance do you want? Is it this inheritance? The applause of men. These things, and you get to cash them in. And maybe if you think you've got a big enough box, you can put them in with you when you're buried. You could be buried in your Cadillac so no one else can drive it. Congratulations. Or do you want an internal inheritance? That's why he says, let the dead bury their own dead. You want a dead man's inheritance? Take a dead man's inheritance. Or you want a living man's inheritance? Come follow me. Then he says, well, I'll follow you, but, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Or those, notice it just says those in my house. Jesus knows what that means. He knows. Have you ever actually really, really had that conviction in your heart? God, I'm going to follow you with everything. And then you share it with someone and they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Settle down. You're freaking me out. And it could even be a Christian. 
Shame on us if that's us. Oh, I'm afraid you're going to go overboard. Can I just say as your pastor, go overboard. You can't overdose on Jesus. Try it. I'm trying. We love the fact that Peter got to walk on water, but he would never have gone to walk on water had he not gone overboard. Well, you imagine how many other guys were like, wow, that guy's nuts. He's stepping out of the boat. This crazy. It's a storm right now. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Peter. Go ahead. <laughs> what? And Jesus is like, no, wait a minute. Listen, Jesus is saying, if you're really going to, no, not just say you believe in me, not just say you're cool and you're like, got to get out of a hell free card, but if you're going to follow me, I mean, follow me, if you're going to follow me, then it's going to cost you. But this is what it's going to cost you. For everything, it's not going to just cost you. It's a trade, but it's always a trade up. You're going to have to decide which home. This one that's temporary or a permanent one. Which one do you really want? Which one is inside you craving? Which inheritance do you want? What's your real business? Are you storing up your treasures here on earth or where everyone can steal and corrupt? I mean, I could drill a hole in the wall and get your safe deposit box. Have a nice day. Or on the other side of it, nobody can steal it from God. So which one? Which investment do you want? And which family do you want? God's not saying diss your family. What God's saying is make sure you realize who is your father now. Who calls the shots? Now look back at our text. Do you see the same? He says, which one of you has a house? I mean, a house. You're looking and you're going, yeah. Now God's not saying diss your house. The point is, is it so important that you will not step forward because you're afraid you'll lose your house? You don't know the discord that will happen if I'm really... And how many of you in here, I mean, without a show of hands, inside, how many of you are really like, man, I would follow the Lord, but... Here's my resistance. And it's not even the enemy at this point. It's inside. It's like, yes, but I know the trouble that's going to cause in my house. I know the trouble that's going to cause, you know, in my investments. I know the trouble that's going to cause with my society. I can't fall in love with Jesus. Do you know how many friends I'll lose? God's like, serious? That's where you're going to go with this? You're afraid you're going to lose somebody and try to quiet yourself while they walk into hell and you're afraid you're going to lose them by compromising. So the, so the commander looks and he goes, look, you guys want to come to battle with me? First of all, let's just say, go home. Unless you really want to follow, unless you really want to follow God. And what are we doing? Gathering more information for God to hold us accountable for later? Is that what we're doing? It's because I'm looking. There's so much victory. But you're going to have to follow me to get it. And you're like, I don't understand. I'm a Christian. Why am I still struggling with these things? And why do I feel so defeated? And why do I not have the victory God promised? He goes, because it comes with following me. I don't know if you're following. I don't know if I'm following like I should. I want more. I want to be able to look back and go, man, no regrets. None. No moment of silence. No moment where I traded and I thought, oh, but my house. Or, You know, when you've got to look at your family and say, we're leaving. And you know you've got a girl that's a teenager and you're ripping her from all of her family, but you, all of her friends. But you know that you've got to follow the Lord. And you've got to trust them to take care of it. Man, all you do is you get on your knees and you beg them. 
don't let me take my eyes off of you because I will weird out if I do. And you realize you go, and, and everyone that loves you looks and goes, do you realize how you're finally comfortable and secure? What in the world are you doing? And you're saying, and look, at this doesn't make me a hero. It's just one moment I fall back and I say, okay, wait, one moment was done right. But man, how many choices have I made since then where I'm not sure they're the same? No wonder why the priest says, hey, how many of you have lost your conviction? You had a conviction to go, yeah, let's go. And now you're like, man, I'm not sure. And then fear crept in and then you sped up and you broke down. Is that what you want? He goes, man, you don't know the victory that is awaiting you. And you go, but I can't see it. And God goes, that's why we call it faith. Because we can't walk by sight and call it faith. If I showed it to you, then you couldn't, then I couldn't write you in, in Hebrews 11. And I want to write you in Hebrews 11, but I can't show it to you first. I want you to, he's like, God's like, I want you to win this. I'm giving you all the tools. And you're like, you're not giving me other things. The guy goes, because those things will disqualify you. But I want you to walk with me. I mean, with, and you're like, but if people are going to call me nuts. They already do. Do you really think that what they're saying behind your back is, oh, they're really bright. That's actually a good Christian because they really don't. You know, in the end of it all, I want to stand before my king. And I want him to look and go, you know what? Well done. But I can't hear him say well done if what I'm really doing is not following him and telling him somehow that that's my obedience. I'm like, I want to see a God of miracles, but I don't want to have to be put in a place where I have to have a miracle. Because that means I'm a damsel in distress. I'd rather be the hero. God's like, excuse me, that's, I'll take care of that. I don't want to be Peter going, don't worry, Jesus, I got this one handled. You see Jesus going, well, I'll just wait then. Go ahead. When you're done, come to me. And as if that wasn't enough, then we get to verse 8. In verse 8, he says, now the officer speaks to the people, and he says, now let me ask you. After you've already heard, and imagine by this way, if this is to be done, it would imagine to be done in this order. So imagine, let's just say at a moment like that, Shantae's on fire, Gina's on fire, Bjorn's on fire, Shirley's on fire, they're ready. And I'm like, all right, how many of you are distracted? I mean, you're distracted. You want to follow Jesus, but there's only a half-hearted thing going on. Go home. And then they're like, we're ready. We're going to go. And all of a sudden, like three-quarters of the church leaves. Now, all of a sudden, where's the like banner and fanfare now? It's interesting that that's why the fear thing gets asked after that. Because somehow we could think that this, listen, 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 somehow we could think that the power's in our numbers. But that doesn't work so well in the UK, does it? You know, all of a sudden, I, got, I had the privilege of watching a guy that my wife often parallels me with that's from the States, and he had this really kind of a, a rather a large church in uh, California, and he left it to go and plan another thing, and the thing he's planning, he's trying so hard, and he's, he's just going at it, and he's not seeing the fruit like he thought he would, and he thought that he was, he was almost discouraged, but he was encouraging so many people by the fact that it wasn't like he snapped his fingers and just everything happened. And, and the cool part about it is it's not that, it did, that there wasn't fantastic fruit. It was his perseverance in it. But he was like, he wasn't going to commit. And not commit to the end. But man, it's like we can't even commit to a, you know, it's like we can't even commit to, like we would rather live together than get married because of what? Well, because God said we should testify of marriage. But there's a commitment there. Well, there better be. It's like so many things we're afraid to commit to. 
Because we're afraid of what? That we'll really see how rebellious our hearts are. I, at least I'm, I'm speak for myself. So all of a sudden, when people that you know and that you trust, that you thought were superheroes of the faith, it's like, that guy's a spiritual Thor. You know, it's like, bring us thou, because he reads King James or something, right? Bring us thou. You know? and, then and then that guy's like Iron Man, because he's always got the coolest new gadgets. And it's like, let me show you this. The Bible in 3D, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, whoa. And then they, and you're like, okay, who's distracted? Go. And then they all disappear. And you're like, whoa, it's just like little me now. I'm like Hawkeye. I've got like a bow and arrow. I'm like, this guy turns green and he like rips apart like skyscrapers and swings them like a cricket bat. I've got like an arrow. God's like, whoa, 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 settle down, Junior. Did you think this this fight was yours? Can I remind you? I didn't say go out for me. I said follow me, follow me. And if you're going to follow me, then I better be behind him. And I'm like, but when they start falling off, like, gosh, God, you know, I could look and go, but that, like, maybe we need to do this because look at how many people go to this. God's like, but that's not you. I'm like, yeah, but that. And God's like, stop it. Is this really about who's, who's fighting the battle? So when people ask, how big is your church? I'm like, the Lord shows up. It's as big as it's going to get. They're like, oh, bless you. Oh, you're one of those pastors. Yes, I hope I am always one of those pastors. And look, at, I don't want to be the kind of guy that's going to sort of sit like a senator and tell you guys about rules of engagement in the battle and not have scars and not know the smell of napalm and not know the sound of gunfire. Because I think we have enough of those guys out there. That are like they wear the cape and tights, proverbially, but they've never seen a moment of battle. I want to say, look at every one of you is in a battle, but the battle is not to hold your ground. The battle is to move forward. God called His church to be an offensive weapon, and the gospel is offensive. And you're going to need to know that. And you're going to need to know that if you're going to be in a battle, there's going to be opposition. But you're going to need to know you're following Jesus into that battle. And if you're going to follow Jesus into that battle, you're going to come out victorious because He is undefeated and He doesn't lose. I read the end of the book. We win. Or have you forgotten that? So he goes, then the soldiers come back and they go, hey, let me ask you. So which of you uh, is still afraid? Are you afraid because people have left? Are you afraid because, well, you're looking at the people in front of you that you're going to fight? That I already said I'm going to take you down? And he already walked us, I remind you, he's already walked us on our route to this place and shown us the history of fallen giants. So remember those people? There was a giant group of people that were there. But I took them all down and gave those people that live there now their place. And remember this place and all this. And Zumim. I mean, doesn't that just sound scary? And Zumim. And I took them down so I can give you them. And it's like, and all these places, like, let me show you how many times we've taken down a giant and given them. So look at that. That's what I do. I'm a giant faller, God speaking. And he looks and goes, didn't I already take down your Egypt? Do you remember when you thought you'd always be a slave? Didn't I take you out of that? So what are you afraid of now? Is there anything? None of these guys that you're battling now could fight Egypt. And I already defeated Egypt. So what are we missing? So who's afraid? Well, it's not about mine now. It's about me. Because you know what? It's contagious, and that's my concern. 
And you talk to people and like, I don't know, man. I feel like I'm constantly struggling with doubt. Like, well, the first question I usually ask is, who are you hanging out with? Well, I'm hanging out with this atheist guy, and I'm hanging out with this person, and this person that like was part of a church or something, but now they hate it, and it's like I hate God.com, and it's like, and you really ever wonder why you're having a problem? Where do you go to just recharge? Hey, look at the the, the world is too full of hate the church church people. They're like, well, I won't call myself a Christian, but I'm going to call myself, like, something else because I hate church. But I'm like, we're not really a church. We're kind of a church, but we're not a church because we don't call ourselves a church because I hate church. How about we just take the words back? So when someone says you're religious, which, by the way, means devoted, stare them in the face and say, yes. You want to see what real religion looks like? Let's go do it. Then you're afraid, well, do I have to be perfect? No. Just be in pursuit. Doesn't that what it means? All of a sudden, people will go, they're religious, and they'll go, oh, cool. When you're a Christian, do you really believe? Yes, I do. I don't know if anyone's been anything but a jellyfish in front of you, but welcome to the first invertebrate you may meet. Or, sorry, vertebrae you may meet. I'm going to grow a spine and tell you, yes, I believe those things. Do you really believe the Bible? Absolutely, I do. So listen, as we bring this around. God wants you to have victory. And he goes, now let me warn you, this is the way it works. Last few verses, as we walk through this, here it is, ready? Verses 10 then through 15, here's the point. He goes, did you notice he focuses on the distant groups before the close groups? He goes, the distant groups, they should be the easier ones to deal with. Here's the deal with them. Listen, listen, listen. You come ahead of time with a set standard that is non-negotiable. You don't go, how do I fit my Christianity, my Judaism into your culture now? He says, here's the deal. You say, this is who I am. This is the new me now. And the new me now, I, I, I gotta, I'm not going to try to be, you know, yeah, you're going to probably freak out, but I'm just going to let you know, this is the new me, and I can't diss the new me. It's who Christ is making me, and I do not want to diss the masterpiece he's making me. So look, at here's the deal. The deal is, either you agree with that and you allow me to be who I'm going to be in Christ, or we're done. And people go, oh, that sounds so cruel. You know what? It's even crueler to play a game where nobody knows the truth. And someone goes, I'm not really sure what the law is on this. I know guys that are getting deported out of this country because somebody didn't tell them the truth about the rules. Do you think they were happy that somebody didn't want to offend them with the truth? They're really unhappy. Because they're like, well, it's just I had a false sense of security. There's no false sense of security in calling it a friend. It's like, look, this is who I am now. I'm not going to sleep with you. I'm not going to do drugs. And I want you to know I am going to read my Bible. And I do not like to listen to people diss my God. You want to go and diss someone else? Diss Muhammad. Go ahead and say his name a few times when you stub your toe. Stop bringing up my God's name. You're like, well, that's so closed-minded. Funny. You're not willing to change. And that's what happens with those on the far side. Look at you offer more offer of peace, but that peace is only under the reliance that they are not going to allow you change. But those are the distance. Those are the ones that you could kind of go back to your neutral corner and go, all right, now, hey, where am I really with this? Is this influencing me? But what about those close? He says, man, I don't want to even... He goes, this is why. God says, you don't realize how important that is you don't get led astray. You don't know how important that is. 
Somebody kind of, they subtly throw a little jab in, and they throw a little doubt, and they throw a little of this, and they come on, ease up. And if they keep doing it just long enough, it becomes part of the norm. And that can happen in here right now. Or someone looking and go, oh, gosh, how long is this going to go? Is he really about to? Can't we just be like normal Christians? Yeah, well, can I just ask you this? What has normal Christianity done to this country in the last 50 years? Hey, I'm not just saying that. I'm not dissing European Christianity. I'm dissing Christianity as a whole. I don't want to be part of it. I can't complain about something and not want to be different. Well, we're cool. You know, look at cool. Cool is just like an inch away from lukewarm, isn't it? He's like, look, at this is how important it is. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Isn't that what Jesus said? Do you think Jesus was playing games? Your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Was, was God what he was looking at? Was dismembering? He goes, listen, that's what I want your life to be like. If there's something that dangerous where it's dragging you away from me, cut it out. You're like, but. God's like, really? We're going to play this game now? God's like, I'm going to walk to victory. Who wants to come with me? But I'm going to lose a lot. And God's like, but you're going to gain a lot. Where are you looking? You look back, you're going to lose a lot. You look ahead, you're going to gain a lot. Where are you looking? There's so much ground to be gained. I just don't want you to miss it. Last thing. The last three verses, he talks about trees. Isn't that weird? It's like you're going to go in. People far away, by the way, you're probably aware of the Gideon thing from Joshua 6. People pretend like they're far away. And Israel's like, well, we have a standard for this. Sure, we can get in a contract as long as you're willing to sort of submit underneath our, our society. We're cool. But they, they didn't. They lied. And this is why, because it says, when you go to them, not they come to you. Notice the difference. They came to them and they were like, oh, they didn't even check with God. They must be far away. Look at how they have old shoes and old bread. Look at even their phones at 3%. It's been a long drive. And they were led astray by that. But he says, when it's close, he goes, look at it. It's either of me or we're gone. Do you realize how important that is? God says, it's that important. This is why Achan goes down in the book of Joshua. So the first is Judges. This is Joshua. With the Gideon case, the Gibeon case, that's Judges. With the, with the Joshua case, that's Achan. They're going to take ground. I'm sorry, they're both in Joshua. What in the world am I doing to confuse you? In the book of Joshua, where the battles are being fought, in both cases, they're taking on these battles. And in the first case, it was that place close by, and a guy steals some stuff. And they lose it. Listen, listen, they lose the next battle because of it. Because God says, I don't want any of that to be yours. Don't take any of it. Please hear me in this. The reason he brings trees at the end, he says, look, there's two different kinds of trees. Trees, by the way, that you can build a siege work for, and trees that you can eat food from. Because don't just try to win the battle. Realize this ground's going to be yours, and if this ground's going to be yours, this is your tree. So why do you want to cut it down just to win the battle when you're going to realize that if you win the war, this tree is yours? And the idea is simple. I don't want to go and die on every hill with the idea that I just want to go and battle and fight somebody when I realize in the end of it all what I really want is I want to win the war. So I want to be careful to sit and go, let's get first. It's about Jesus Christ, him crucified and him resurrected. And as that's the case, are you going to say yes to that? I'm not asking you, are you going to join my church? 
I'm not asking you if you're going to go and put on this outfit or shave your head in this hairstyle or listen to this new band or whatever. First and foremost, are you going to accept the gift of Jesus? Because without it, you have no relationship. It's just a new government. But I'm here to let you know my God took that battle and he did not back down. Aren't you thankful Jesus led? And he shows us what it looks like to lead. You know what it looks like? It looks like he doesn't back down when there's a liar. But he doesn't go looking for a fight. Notice they found him, but he never stopped walking. And as he walked, he would walk to the leper, and he would walk to the house of a Pharisee and to the house of a leper. And he would have his feet washed by a sinful woman, but he would also cross the the sea just for a demon-possessed man. He was going. And if I follow him, I kind of get the feeling I'm going to run into those guys too. All of a sudden, I realize my diary is going to be filled with blokes that are like, hmm, possessed guy. All right, let's see what works with that. But I remind you, I'm following Jesus there. Could you imagine what happens when we look back at our life and realize that it looks like the Bible? Because we actually followed him? I mean, it looks like the Bible. Like we actually flip back. I mean, I can tell you pages of my life. Now, I can't tell you. I mean, there are other pages. It's like, well, let's just burn this one. But, but I look at this. And I'm like, whoa, this is cool. And it was never anything I did. It was just a point where I followed him. I mean, Jesus doesn't. It was like, I mean, imagine being the disciples. And Jesus walks over. And he's like, yes, I'm willing. You know, and, and all of a sudden, whoa, no leprosy. And I kind of walked. And what did I do? I watched. I followed. And I went, cool. No leper anymore. I realized, Jesus is like, so who, where do you want to go next? I'm like, well, you're the one who's leading. You just tell me. He's like, are you ready for this? You thought that was crazy? Let's go to the tomb of a dead guy. He's been dead for four days. He's an old friend. I'm like, old, like, ex-friend? No, I love him. That's why I waited. That's what John says. Because he loved him, he waited. Huh. And then he gets there and he says, all right, Lazarus. Do you know why he says Lazarus come out, right? Because if he just said come out, it would have been real pandemonium. All the people coming out of their graves, but he had to call him by name. Think that too, right? I mean, come out. It's like, oh, okay. Lazarus, come out. And he comes out and he goes, no, let me give you guys something, okay? Unwrap his grave clothes. Let him go. I'm like, cool. I get to unwrap a guy that was dead. I get to unwrap his grave clothes. So Jesus calls him out of the tomb. And I get to unwrap their grave clothes so they look less dead. Because they're fully alive. They just may not look like it. And isn't that what I get to do now? Jesus calls us out of the grave, and then gets to unwrap. And then I'm like, okay, let's unwrap. Let's open scripture and watch God unwrap so you can walk and go tell other people how he raised you from the dead. That's what I get to do. And Jesus is like, okay, was that enough? Clearly you can see I have power over death, right? Yes, good, because I'm dying. What? I'm going to go to the I'm going to the cross. Well, wait, well, well, wait, but wait a minute, wait a minute. It's different when you raise somebody. You're living. But you're going to die and raise from the dead? Now that's a little stranger. I don't have any precedent for that. He's like, good. Would you agree with me this is something only God can do? Sure. So when I do it, you'll agree with me? And you won't back down? When somebody says you really believe Jesus is God, you won't back down? And when I do what no one else has done and you say, if someone asks, do you really believe Jesus is the only way? You'll say yes because you won't back down? Sure, okay. All right, well, I'm going to die then. I'll tell you why, though. I'm going to die for you. Because what you've done, what man has done, someone's got to die. And I'm choosing that so I can die for you. So you don't have to spend eternity away from the Father. 
I'm going to take all your filth and your muck and your nastiness and your selfishness and all that rebellion, even right now, and I'm going to take it all. I'm going to nail it to the cross. I'm going to, if you'll pardon me for saying, I'm going to beat the hell out of it. And I'm going to raise from the dead, and I'm going to give you a brand new life. But that new life is not one where you're just going to go, hmm, cool. Imagine you're being called out of the grave. Do you want to sit on your grave? He's like, come follow me. Where? Away from the grave? And when the battles come, you need to know I've already won this war. So let's go walk. Now let's follow him. So here's my question as we pray. Will you follow him? Will you follow Jesus? And if not, why not? What do you possibly have that you think is worth staying? So as we go to prayer, Christians, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me that we would look back even next week from this point and look back and go, oh, God, thank you for the way that I've been able to walk with you for a week. You've led me to places I would never have gone. or You led me to places to show me glory that I would never have seen. I want to follow you. I'm going to open up your word. I'm going to let you speak to me personally. I'm going to get in prayer and I'm going to listen for you to lead me. And I'm not going to play the devil's game that if God says, hey, why don't you share with that person? I'm going, maybe that was Satan telling me to share Jesus with that person. Really? Do you think that's going to work? Do not be one, please, who only does nothing well. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, thank you. I know, Lord, this has been a bit serious. It's been a bit heavy, but it needs to be, Lord. It needs to be so much more than just a Bible study where we kind of look and go, oh, got some information. I feel like I know the text a little better. I mean, I recognize in this room right now, more than likely, none of us are going to walk out of this building and genuinely think we're going to face hand-to-hand combat that might kill us. But the people in this chapter did. And the consequences were that grave. They were not just, you know, well, I'll be ashamed because I didn't do what I should. They'd die. And from a spiritual perspective, Lord, I know that there's some of us here that used to at one point thrive in you. They, th- they thrived in you because they really didn't feel like they were confident that there was really nothing that was holding back. There was no reservation, no reluctance, no resistance. But we've gotten comfortable. And we use our families as excuses. We use our houses as excuses, our jobs as excuses. We use romance as our excuses. And it's like just the weeds that, that choke the life out of us. And here we are pretending like somehow we're going to... I don't even know how we could respect you. We think that that some kind of half-hearted stance in any way could compare to following you. And I recognize we may follow you to all kinds of places, places we wouldn't sign up for, places that, to be honest, we would have signed up for but never believed we could go to. And I pray today, Lord, that you would give us that that heart that when we hear the bugle blown, that we want to run to the battle because we recognize we're getting behind the undefeated heavyweight champion of the universe and we are following you. We're following you to victory. And you, and you tell us, praise, Lord, be to you who always leads us in triumph. 
So I pray, Lord, right now that you crack open hearts like eggs and you let us actually hear you lead us. We would know you better and that we'd be in your word and, Lord, that we'd rather take that step assuming that you will lead us and sit around idly by while the house burns down. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Lord, if there be any in this room right now who have not accepted the gift of Jesus, who died on the cross for them and rose again, and today they've heard you speak to them and even call their voice and say, hey, follow me. Today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, show them their, their need. Lead them today. May they say yes. And if that's you today, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end of it, I ask you to give a confident amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I am a sinner. As humans are sinners, I'm a sinner. And I deserve hell. But I believe that you sent your son, Jesus the Christ, only begotten to die on the cross so that all of my crimes of my heart could be punished. And he died there. And as he died there, my verdict died with it. You paid my bill in whole. And as he rose again, it's more than just saying yes and assuming then as you say yes, that you just be Savior. But to be Lord, I need to follow you. To be my Lord, you bid me to follow. So I say yes. Will you lead? I'm going to follow. Lead me and give me the courage to follow, the strength to follow, the conviction to follow. That all the things that I may have ever seen, that I may have even complained about, that I've looked at and said, this is what it is, will be changed because I will live a life different than that. And lead me beside others, Lord, who are going to be wholehearted, full on, not just distracted by an undedicated house or an untasted vine. They will not allow their hearts to fall in such a way in romance that they will compromise their walk with you just to try to keep a human being interested. but that we would be, Lord, with people who challenge our walk, that we'd say, man, I better really buck up about my walk with the Lord because that's the challenge I have with this individual. And I see them do that. And Lord, I pray that you would just raise us up to be those kind of people. So, you bid me to follow you, and I'm going to say yes now. Lead me as you wash me clean from the blood you shed at the cross, as you make me new at your death and resurrection, I'm going to follow you as my Lord. Lead me, I pray. In Jesus, in your name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. So Lord, I pray as we have, in the safety of this room, made such a covenant in our hearts with you, Take us seriously and give us all the tools that are necessary to follow through in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, beloved.